Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on the deep dive on things happening in the food, wine, and hospitality scene. Thanks so much for coming back to me today. As you can see, here I am in the gorgeous wine lair, the private wine club just off the Ritz-Carlton in downtown D.C. I'm so lucky because every week I get to be here with my guests and be surrounded by all this fabulous wine. But as you see, I don't drink while on air because I wait until the show is over. So for those of you who are new here, thanks so much for joining me. A quick little housekeeping notes on who I am and what I do. I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. Uh, check out the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything happening in the DC metro area. Openings, food promotions, the calendar right now is so chock full of events, you have no excuse not to leave your couch. You can tune in every Sunday on 1500 to Foodie and the Beast. That's my husband, David, and I. I am the foodie. He is the beast obviously. Uh, we've been doing that show now, a food and wine variety show for the last 14 years, 15 anniversary coming up very soon. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now as you're watching on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe please to the show. Uh, and what else do I have? Let's see. Oh, you hear me on WTOP and I've got some TV spots coming up, which I'll tell you about shortly. Okay. So if you pay attention to my Instagram feed or LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, you see that I totally get out and about. And the last couple of days I've been doing some really fun things. So last weekend was White House Correspondents Dinner Weekend and it was party central here in DC. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there were like insane events every day. I see my guest here shaking his head. I want to know where he went. <laughs> um, I was at the ambassador's residence, the Japanese ambassador's residence for the modern luxury party on Friday night. It was super snazzy, lots of sake, lots of champagne, lots of friends we know, uh, pouring great drinks like the Prestige LeDroit guys. And uh, oh, and Ari Wadler was also there from uh, the new Capo. He was pouring drinks as well, but lots of great food, uh, Wagyu, sushi, etc. But honestly, it was the people, great people watching and so much fun. Uh, also... I really went to a fabulous place that just opened here in DC. So now back in December, Eater asked me to do a write up for them, Eater DC, about what I was anticipating in 2023. And one of the specific questions was about what was I looking forward to that was opening up in Washington in 2023. And I said, love Mikato, because I was really excited for Love Mikato. So if you don't know about it, it is now open. It is next door to Lardente. It is owned by David Deshaies, uh, the chef of Lardente and, um, and uh, Unconventional Diner. His business partner, um, Eric Eden, and they have partnered with, I want to make sure I say his name right, Makatu Akua, who actually used to work at Sushi Taro a long time ago before he blew it up in Miami. He brought up with him Jonah Kim, who also used to be in town. He worked for Mike Isabella um, when he opened up Pabu in Arlington. So it kind of felt like Old Friends Week when we went there uh, earlier this week. So it's three sections. There is a sushi omakase, there is a barbecue, and there is an izakaya. Those are the restaurant concepts. And then there's a to-go area that is not opened yet. We did the uh, 
barbecue. When you go to the barbecue, you're sat in front of this gorgeous grill. You grill your own meats. It's either Wagyu, Japanese Wagyu, or uh, American beef. It is a plentiful selection, uh, complemented by lots of pickles and rice. Of course, there's other things to order. So pro tip, get that avocado. Look at my Instagram feed. It is... I don't say the F word on this show, but it is so good. So definitely check out that avocado. They also do a table side toss of an Asian slaw, equally delicious. I cannot wait to go back for the omakase. And I also did, because I have so much time on my hands, a quick trip up to New York because the Culinary Institute of America was doing an incredible award ceremony for their alumni. It was the alumni all-stars. So Roy Choi, Nina Compton, Duff Goldman, Melissa Rodriguez were just some of the people who gave terrific award presentations. Um, and also, I mean, there were other superstars there like Thomas Keller and Michael White uh, just sort of milling about. So it was really amazing to me to get to hear the stories of people like Michelle Rodriguez and Roy Choi and Nina Compton talk about how the CIA really helped them make their passions, their profession. And um, a lot of times there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Their stories are really compelling. But that really brings me to my guest who's here today, who should have been at that event. <laughs> he has not gotten an alumni award yet uh, because uh, he's not there yet, but he's going to be. So fellow New Jersey native, uh, Michael Freeman, I call him Mikey. Um, he's been a mainstay in the DC dining scene for more than a decade. Um, here's what I love about Mikey. He radiates positivity and goodwill. He always has a smile on his face. And that comes through in his cooking and in his restaurant concepts. And I think it's really important because as a CIA grad and working in kitchens, we're going to get to all of it. I think so many people think of older chefs as always having a scowl on their face and yelling and throwing things. And yet here you are, very successful, three current restaurants, a fourth one on the way. We have Red Hen. You all know Biden was just there. Uh, all Purpose, Navy Yard and Shaw, and the forthcoming, and I cannot wait, yes, Aventino um, in Bethesda. So hi, Michael Freeman. Hi, Mikey thank you Freeman. for having me. Thank you for joining me. So fellow New Jerseyan, yes. let's talk about uh, growing up in New Jersey. Sure. What was it? What was your childhood like? You know, how did you, how were you raised? Were sure. you raised around food? Was food super important? Um, it's a great question. A question I think that so many chefs get asked about. And I like to say that I, I don't have that story of sitting on my grandmother's counter, rolling mm. pasta or making matzo ball soup in my case. Right. Um, food was central to, to my household growing up. And, mm -hmm. and we hosted most of the events. Most of my family was in New Jersey or New York and they'd come out um, to Westfield where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, but I grew up in a, in a wonderful household. I grew up with a dad that that worked a lot, uh, that commuted into the city and, and that was, I think, took a toll on him. Mm. Um, my mom worked in town at a local shop. Um, we walked to school, uh, my brother and I. My brother's about 18 months older than me. So mm -hmm. um, we were pretty tight growing up and um, it was a great household to grow up in. I don't, you know, I don't have any bad memories, you know, mm. and, and um, you know, I, I grew up as the younger kid and, and traditionally the little bit more of a, 
um, mischievous child, a little bit more of an extrovert than my brother, who was an introvert mm -hmm. at the time. And um, so I was kind of the goofball. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that about me. And, and I think I, I think I carried that uh, into adulthood a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of coming into the industry was because I could be myself. Mm -hmm. And I had done some work prior to coming into the restaurant industry that I felt like I was a little bit caged. So um, my, my upbringing was wonderful. Uh, so, so you, so high school, yeah. like were you into sports or were you so, in theater? Like what, what was your, what was your thing? Yeah. So, um, I played hockey, okay. um, from about 12 until 18. So mm -hmm. I was part of the hockey team. Uh, I was terrible okay. at it, but I loved being part of the team, mm -hmm. um, which is something that transferred into, into my current career. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved, uh, theater and I was in choirs and um so I was very involved in school um I mean and I then, wasn't I wasn't inferring that you're dramatic but I, I mean just, look I think I, I think we all you. have an inner thespian at some yes. point um uh, I, I worked when I was 15 years old, I worked in a deli when I could make mm -hmm. my own money. I'd walk to Duke's Deli, which mm -hmm. was uh, a couple blocks down from the high school. And I, you know, I worked three to five days a week, got paid under the table, right. pretty sure it was controlled or, you know, protected by the mafia. Um, so uh, literally every month, there was so a guy Jersey. that came so in, New Jersey. a guy came in with a suit and the owner, George Snell would just say, Hey, look, like make him this order. And just hand it to him in a box. And I'm like, okay, that works yep, for me. That's cool. Um, but I loved that part of my, my career as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of outgrew it when I was ready to go to college. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, my brother was, like I said, he was 18 months older than me. He skipped a grade. Um, and he was always, I think thought of in the, in the family as like the kind of dedicated driven one from a business standpoint. I like mm -hmm. to say that my brother like was born, ready to work hmm. um, and loved the idea of business. He, my grandfather was a, a very good businessman and, and ran a um, wiring company out of New Jersey. Hmm. Um, and my brother kind of sought to follow in his footsteps in terms of kind of being uh, successful in the business community, which he still is now working for as a private investment banker in New York. Hmm. Um, but my parents like to say that my brother was going to be a banker and I was going to make ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. Right. Um, so that was kind of the dichotomy in I the mean, household. To make you feel like that we're, I'm the eldest. Yeah. Um, so my sister is a, a lawyer, yeah. the middle one. And my brother, uh, the youngest, is a doctor. So, you know, my parents used to sort of be like, you know, I have a lawyer, I have a doctor, and I have a, <laughs> right. I have a creative. Right. You and, know? Yeah. And I went to college. You know, I went to Boston University. Um, I went to Simmons. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do poorly in high school. I was a good mm -hmm. student. Um, I went to Boston U with no idea what I wanted to do other than uh, meet girls. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I graduated with a communications degree. So mm -hmm. PR and marketing degree. Um, scooped ice cream a lot in Boston and had a really good time so you doing did, that. So you did live that Ben and Jerry's. I Great. did for a short time. Right? Yeah. I think they There's pictured me. There's a Ben and Jerry's in Kenmore Square. Yeah. I think they pictured me in like overalls with like a big hulking beard and, you know, like, like stirring a big vat of cream. But, mm. um, I never got that far into the, into the job. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I graduated and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't know how to get into PR or marketing and, uh, I ended up working for, um, Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I, you're so comfortable. <laughs> I ended up working uh, for Viacom. I was selling radio airtime mm. uh, right out of college, and I absolutely hated it. it just wasn't say, for me. It sounds soul-sucking. It was, and it really was. And it kind of 
led me to quit and reassess. I ran out of money in Boston. I moved down here to DC uh, where my parents had moved from New Jersey down here okay. uh, for my dad's work. And um, they had an apartment right outside the city and mm -hmm. I lived in the apartment. My dad said, look, if you're going to be here, you got to get a job. Sure. And I remember being really stressed out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was living in the guest room in my parents' apartment and my mom had all these cookbooks. She was a great cook, mm -hmm. still is a great cook. Um, and she always collected cookbooks. And so I used to read these cookbooks at night. And this was the pre cell phone days, the sure. pre DVR days, you right. know, like we had books and we had TV and, and, but um, let me just pause you for a second. Sure. Where were you on eating? Did you like to, when you were in Boston, yeah. like, did you like to check out the new restaurants? Was that like, I grew up in a family that was all about that. Right. And I still, to this day, when I look at my college life, I'm like, who paid for dinner? Like we went out, we were at every new restaurant. I was with a crew that was really into food. That's awesome. But so my question is, is I see you reading cookbooks sure. in your early twenties, Sure. but how did you feel about eating? Um, I mean, we always appreciated really good food. My dad was from the Bronx mm -hmm. um, and grew up, you know, in a conservative Jewish, ho Jewish household, but within this major Italian community right off Arthur Avenue. Sure. And so um, his desires to go out uh, were, were large. So mm -hmm. he wanted to always go out and he was of the Frank Sinatra realm where he wanted to put a suit on and go mm -hmm. to a steak dinner or go to a fancy Italian restaurant. Um, and so we did those things, uh, as kids growing up, uh, we went into New York city and went mm -hmm. to places like Fresco, sure. um, and all the different midtown like spot. And yeah. And, <laughs> um, we went to fancy places around New Jersey and, and I remember those experiences and loved those experiences growing up, you know, looking back on it now, I think they were formative. Sure. Um, going to college, uh, certainly I was on a shoestring budget, mm -hmm. um, and I was eating out of the student dining halls sure. and I really wasn't, um, Perv like I wasn't reaching out for the newer restaurants. I don't think I felt like I was even allowed in them at let's say 18 or 19, right? I wasn't like of, of the level. Um, I think that when I graduated, I, I wanted to, I wanted to jump in age very quickly. So I started drinking scotch. Um, I started trying to find out what was my drink. I was drinking right. martinis, you know, and trying to slam them down because I didn't know what I was doing. That gives and, uh, me a headache just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah. I mean, and, and um, so I, I started to cultivate some of those things. Uh, after graduating from college and wanting to be a man, mm -hmm. um, wanting to kind of make that transition from like this young 21 year old kid to uh, someone that was respected, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of drove me into wearing a suit and tie and going into a cubicle job. Um, starting to read my mother's cookbooks, I think I just liked the pictures at first. Mm -hmm. And um, again, there was no like deep desire to be like, oh my God, this is for me. I want right. to cook. Um, <laughs> but when I started putting the pieces together, of what a job like that might entail and remembering my experiences in college and, and even high school working in smaller kitchens, um, it started to make more sense for me. And I was very calculated on the decision to go into cooking because I said to myself, I'm 21 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to check this off the list, but I want to make sure I want to check it off the list. Okay. And I want to at least exhaust it, the idea of being in a restaurant setting. Mm -hmm. I'd never been in a professional setting like that before. And so I sought out to find a job mm. and that was really, really hard for someone with zero experience at 21 years old. Right. And, um, I broke it to my parents that I wanted to do it and they were very, very supportive. That's nice. Um, and my father who worked his way up in a job that was soulless and in, in TV airtime sales, mm -hmm. uh, hated his job. 
uh, said to me, look, if you find something that you love to do and you figure out a way to get paid for doing it, he's like, you're ahead of the game. And so, great advice. Yeah. And that kept with me um, throughout my career and, and mm-hmm. still drives me to this day. So um, through a friend of a friend, I got hooked up with a job as a prep cook at Monomigabi in Bethesda, Maryland. Wow. Uh, and I remember getting handed a chainmail glove my first day. Mm-hmm. And I remember the manager at the time who, um, who uh, gave me the job said to me, hey, look, don't, don't mess this up. This is my name on the line. And I was like, okay, man, like, I'm going to try my best. <laughs> right. And since day, from day one, I loved it. And, and again, wait, it, so they gave you chainmail glove. What were you doing? You checking just oysters? Prep, no, chainmail glove. So I wouldn't cut my hands. Oh. So I was cutting mirepoix. I was a French restaurant. I was cutting right. mirepoix. I was making compound butters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was making, I was cutting onions for onion soup. Sure. Um, and, uh, from the first day I was there, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because it was a clean slate. Right. Um, I was using my hands. I was being creative and I was always creative. I always loved building things as a kid. Um, and there was a, there was a technique to it, right? I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was learning directly and indirectly a vocation. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was important for me. And so, so chicken came first. Yes. And then you decide to go to the CIA. Yes. And how did your parents feel about that after paying for four years of college? Were well, like, I paid my way through CIA. Okay. So I made enough money to pay my way through CIA. Wow. And, um, did Let Us Entertain You have any sort of programs or anything like that? No, they didn't. And they wanted me to stay aboard. You know, I became within nine months at Let Us Entertain You and, and Mona Migabi, I, I became a sous chef. Wow. Um, and not because I had anything, any kind of understanding of cooking or foundational scales, mm-hmm. um, I could speak English and Spanish and I was a good organizer and I could follow systems properly. And, and that was really, um, not to discount let's entertain by any means. I think I was no, the, no, the right person mach- for the job. They're a machine. They are a machine and they're a systems based company. And I learned so much from them okay. and it was such an invaluable experience mm-hmm. to be there and learn the ins and outs of not only restaurants, but creating a dish, uh, cooking something from the ground up. I like to say that chefs, and this is a very kind of basic comment, chefs are either artists or they're plumbers. Mm. Okay. And I'm a very good plumber. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is, is there are people that can take ingredients and, and match them in ways that I could never even imagine. Mm. Um, but I'm really good at the, the building blocks of dishes and I'm really good at trying to figure out things and figuring it out and then making it work for the guest perspective. And I think that's a skill set that um, I think young chefs forget about. Um, because the foundations. The foundations and, and yeah, the, how, how to plumb something correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get to be an owner, you get to learn about plumbing as well. So right. there's, there's that as well. Um, <laughs> okay, so you get to Hogwarts. I get to Hogwarts, that's right? right. So I had the pleasure a couple of years, pre-pandemic, they invited me to come up for a weekend. That's awesome. And experience the school. Sure. Did and you I, do classes? Did you take classes? I did. Oh, awesome. Did you and do I, like a boot camp? I Sort of like a boot camp. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, while I was there, I was like, oh, I was supposed to come here. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, you missed out. I was like, now, the kinds of classes they offer today and the structure in which they do think is very different than when I was in college. Sure. But much like you, I mean, when I graduated, I communications, you know, I right. mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I loved food. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually cooked in my dorm room. Like I had a hot plate and I had a, like a toaster oven. That's like awesome. I like catered in my room. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to that commissary. Um, but, but when I got there, I was just 
you go to the culinary school because you want to be there. Yes. And there's so much knowledge. Yes. And they're so invested in your success. That's the part that I think blew me away the most. Yes. Like, you know, the the breakdown, in the dorms, you could learn how to break down a, practice your breakdown of sure. a pig. I was sure. like, right here? Yeah. I mean, in the books on the shelves are all food related. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to the library and it's all food related. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's very immersive. Um, I think with CIA, you know, again, I, I went there and I was 25, okay. 26. So I was the old man because a lot of these people were coming in between 18 and 20. Sure. You know, maybe 18 right out of high school and they're like, I want to learn a skill mm -hmm. or maybe one year under college under their belt or community college. And they were like, look, I don't want to do this. And, you know, I think I'm going to go to culinary school. Now, there's a prerequisite with CIA where you have to have at least six months of experience working in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I did that. You know, I, I wanted to cook and, and I ended up getting a, a job, you know, managerial job with Ellis Let's Entertain You. And I loved working there. I loved working at Mona Miga B. It was such a great environment. I met my future business partner, Michael Malley there, mm -hmm. um, who was a manager at the time. And I remember starting to talk to my executive chef and I said, look, I think I want to go to school because I always believed in foundational learning. Right. Um, and that's another kind of debate in, in terms of should you go to culinary school or shouldn't you? Um, and there's a lot of different layers to that onion. But um, I... But it's something that you wanted. I wanted it. Do you and, know what and, I mean? Yeah, and, so and you I, have to pay I, to play, but yes. it, it worked out. And I remember our corporate chef from Chicago came down for uh, the weekend. We were doing menu testing, and I talked to her, and I said, you know, I'm really interested in going to the CIA. And she goes, hey, cook me a hamburger. Okay. And I said, okay. I was like, what temperature? She's like, uh, I want it medium rare. And I was like, great. So I cooked the hamburger, you know, traditional setting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know accoutrement on it. And... She looks at it, she touches it. She goes, what temperature do you think this is? And I was like, fine, I think it's medium rare. And she cut into it and it was raw. Okay. And she said, honey, go to culinary school. Okay. <laughs> and so that was a great, a great leeway, you know, segue into me going to culinary school. Um, and I was 25 when I went. I was one of the older students mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted it really badly. I loved it. I loved the learning. I did the homework all the way through. I was doing stages on the weekends in New York City. I was helping other people. I was helping students out. I'd already kind of understood a lot of the cutting and the, and the knife skills. Sure. So going through skills one, two, and three were very fun. It must've been so self, I don't want to say self-satisfying, but when you find it yes. and it clicks, yes. it must feel really good. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling, yeah. right? And, and look, I get that warm, fuzzy feeling every day going into work, you mm -hmm. know? And, and look, some days are colder than others and some days are hard, but that's mm -hmm. like, I like to say, everybody's like, oh, the restaurant industry is so hard. I said, well, if you want to be some, if you want to be successful in anything, it's going to require sacrifice and a different set of stresses and strains. This mm -hmm. is just my, my path. There has to be challenges in life. If you want to be successful, there's right. going to be. There has it's to just be. that nothing comes free and nothing that is successful comes easy. I agree. And, um, I loved culinary school. I graduated top of my class. Mm -hmm. um, I, I made a lot of friends. Can we um, just talk for a second, though, about your stages over the weekend sure. in New York? So did the school help you? Did the school want you to have those things? Or were you did you go to the school and say, I want stages? And they're like, OK, we here's our here's our alumni. Right. Call them. Like, how did that work for you? So CIA is wonderful in doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a huge network. And, oh. they, and they meet in all cities. They meet here in D.C. Right. Um, I didn't go that path because uh, I talked to individual chefs that I was working with or who were my professors at the time. And I okay. said, hey, look, 
I'm going into New York this weekend. I'd love to stage at a restaurant. And they're like, well, I know this person, this person, this person. I great. Like, great. Um, and so I'd go into New York and I'd do a stage. So um, when you did a stage, for people who, like, we all hear about stages. Sure. But I don't know if the layperson really understands what a stage is. Sure. Do they pay you? Are you just thrown to the wolves in the restaurant? Like, they don't put you on the grill, right? Or do they put you where they need you? Like, what happens in a stage? So... Um, there's no definitive answer. Okay. I, I hate to say that because um, I'd love to give you something that's really clear cut. Mm -hmm. um, stage is, is short for a stagiaire, mm -hmm. which is basically someone that is able to enter your kitchen and you work without pay. Mm -hmm. um, but your payment is education mm -hmm. and your payment is knowledge and your payment is um, connections. And that's what those three things are what builds great success. And, and for you to do that, for any cook to do that, I think is, um, invaluable. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helped me not only as a student in CIA, but I staged all throughout my career. I wish I could still stage, mm. um, just to meet people and see different techniques and see how a different kitchen well, might inspiration. operate yeah. inspiration, but also how would I make myself better or my business better? Um, in many ways, I do stage by doing events in other cities with other chefs. Sure. And so I'm able to learn things from other people or see how a kitchen is set up and be like, wow, that's really smart. Mm. And then bring that knowledge back and be able to make myself better or my company better or the people that work with me better. Um, but some stages I've done, they're like, hey, you're on family meal and you're cooking for everybody tonight for pre-shift. Wow. Uh, some people are like, hey, I need you to help plate up on amuse bouche. Mm -hmm. uh, some people were like, get off the kitchen line, just watch. Um, some people treated you really nicely. Some people didn't even see you. Right. Um, and that depends on the type of kitchen and, and you want those experiences to learn. So how did you go to back? React. Did you go back to certain kitchens? Were there certain kitchens where you're like, I feel like I can learn more here? Or were you like, no, it's a one day thing? You know, I've, I had stages that were three days. Okay. Um, I had stages uh, that were just one day. I had mm -hmm. stages that were two days. So you can set it up just like that. Look, as a, as a business owner now, yeah. looking back and in hindsight, um, is 2020. I mean, I would, I would allow a stage to come in for a whole week. Yeah. And I did that at Red Hen, um, for even a, a cook that wanted a job with us. I said, Hey man, I don't have anything available. And he was like, well, can I continue to stage? And I'm like, yeah. And this guy staged for like two weeks. Mm. And I was like, I have to hire you. I'm just going <laughs> to hire you. And he ended up being a sous chef for me for like three years. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. And, and look, you have to be able to be open to those experiences to be able to pass them on mm -hmm. um, because uh, we can't take it to the grave. You mm -hmm. have to, you have to pay it forward. You have to teach people. And um, I'm, uh, I'm not the best chef out there. Um, I think that I'm pretty good with food. Um, I'm really good with culture. I found uh, throughout the years that I'm really good in building great teams, mm -hmm. uh, really good at inspiration and really good at building really great systems. I like to say that my restaurants and, you know, I have three, going on Aventino and AP shop to make five. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to say that my restaurants are corporate systematic style restaurants masked in independent neighborhood joints. <laughs> and that means that we've had enough experience in systems and management to build a safety net for every kind of situation that comes our way mm -hmm. so that the culture in the restaurant's great. The people in the restaurant are happy. They have a great work-life balance. And those are the things. It doesn't matter if you cook the best dish that you've ever, like that anybody's ever tasted. Right. If you're not good at the other stuff, you will fail. I agree. And and so you have to have a really great foundation, mm -hmm. you, not only in the understanding of how to cook, but how to treat people well. Mm 
mm-hmm. how to uh, write recipes correctly. Um, the, all the nuts and bolts. The restaurant business is just that. It is a business. Right. It is no different than someone running a hair salon mm-hmm. or a, a paper company or anything like that, or a you know a private investment firm. It's all about people. Well, I was thinking about your brother. You it yes, is, you know, you compared yourself to your brother, but sure. at the end of the day, you have become a businessman. I have. You know, it's just affected differently. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about you leave culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing all these stages. Mm-hmm. You come back to DC. I or do. Or you go into New York. So I left culinary school with a job. Okay. So I had a job about two months before I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, Jose Andres came to CIA and did a demo with mm-hmm. Ruben Garcia, oh. uh, who's now one of my close friends. Right. And um, Who I adore. Oh, he's a sweetheart. Isn't I know. He? Yeah, oh, he's, he's great. so delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came and did a demo, and it was a Cafe Atlantico demo and kind of a mini bar demo. Okay. And I sat in on it, and it was in the theater, and you know, you're looking down, and these guys are creating spheres and right. cutting a tomato so differently than you would ever think about it. And I said, oh, my God, I have to work for this guy. Mm. And as I was closer to graduation, and I had done my externship at the Modern, at the Museum, Museum of Modern sure. Art in New York City, um, they had just received um, their best restaurant in the U.S. from mm-hmm. James Beard, um, and they had just received Michelin stars. So it was really great to go into that environment and learn how to be a professional mm-hmm. under people like Gabriel Kutter and Peter Glander and Sandra Romano. And um, I wanted to continue kind of that that craft part, I had an opportunity to go front of the house as well with Charlie Palmer. Okay. Um, and I chose to stick in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and go through their front of the house wine song program. So I was very interested in wine at the time. Right. And, um, I loved the whole process of it and I really was very intrigued by that. And then the teacher at CIA, which was at the time, the restaurant was a scoffee, which is now, uh, um, wanted me to go into that program in the front of the house. Um, but I ended up choosing back of the house and contacted Think Food Group, and um, they didn't have any positions at Cafe Atlantico and Mini Bar. Uh, were you is, were you interested specifically in molecular gastronomy? I was just interested just to get like, to the top of whatever Think right. Food Group was doing. Right, okay. like they were on the edge. It was El Bulli stuff. It was really right. really unique, um, and so I really wanted to go that route. In the end, I got placed at Zetinia. Um, mm-hmm. and so, how old was Zetinia at this point? Through. This was 08. Okay, so, so I want to say they were just... Four years. Yeah. Probably four years. Yeah. Um, and five years. Maybe five years. They were open five yeah. years. And um, so I walked and they out were of still there with kill- a job. But I will say, they were still killing it. Yes. And they're still killing it today. I mean, and they're bigger. You know, I, they've expanded amazing. and they're doing millions more than we were doing a month. But, um, you know, for people who don't know, when Zentinia opened uh, in Penn Quarter, which at the time was sort of this new... Was restaurants were opening up in Penn Quarter. It was brand new yes. when that was happening. Yes. And Jose opened up a restaurant um, that not only featured the food of Greece, correct, but also all the wines were great. I mean, he correct. was hardcore on it. And everybody at the time, I had just started my career. Right. Everybody at the time was like, I mean, what are these? I mean, everybody was kind of annoyed initially. Sure. But he obviously has incredible foresight and yes. saw. No, no, no. This is this is the future. Right. And I think that with Haleo, he saw that people were apt to the Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. And so Zaytania really is an a amalgamation of Greek, Turkish, and Lebanese food. Right. Um, and so you're very correct. Like the, the wines were Greek and, and Lebanese. And Lebanese, yeah. Um, and uh, it was such a unique place to work. And I loved it. 
Um, I dove into work. My dad was uh, diagnosed with cancer right mm -hmm. after I graduated um, and died not, like, not long after that. Um, and so I was tasked with making sure my mother was okay sure. and also tasked with um, my own mental health. And so I dove into work. I mean, I was working 14, 15 hour days, seven days a week and um, just to, you know, escape. And, um, you know, while not the healthiest choice in terms of the physical burnout, um, it propelled me in that company. And I was able to grow in that company really, really nicely and mm -hmm. uh, with wonderful people. And I loved working there. I love working for Think Food Group. I, I've never worked somewhere where I didn't love. I'm very lucky. Right, because you went to Proof next, right? I went to Proof after. Yeah, I actually went to Zaytinia and then I went to Haleo. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was I was kind of burnt out. I needed a break. And okay. so I took a break for about two months. And I was able to travel with my mom to um, the Mediterranean. That's so nice. Um, and it was lovely. And we went to oh, Turkey and Greece and Italy and uh, Malta and Sardinia. I mean, it was it was a really great trip. Mm -hmm. And came back and was introduced to Haider Karoum at Proof. And he was looking for an executive Sue And... I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Massage, yeah. and I liked it, and I loved the kitchen, loved the people, and mm -hmm. uh, I was Plus able Mark, to. Plus, Mark, first of all, talk about your interest in wine. Yeah, I mean Mark that was Culler, the mecca, right? Right. Mark right. Color at the time in D.C. had the largest personal wine collection. Yes. He, had over, he had over personally ten thousand bottles of wine I know. in his and house. And he used to bring them, and he used to we used to sell them at the restaurant. I know. You know, so which was you know. <laughs> Fascinating. Legal? So I don't know. It was Wild West stuff. Right? Yeah, totally. it was just Wild West stuff. Totally. I mean, and a lot of that restaurant was Wild West stuff in, in a great way. And, you know, I learned how to cook off the hip and, you know, hey, mm -hmm. uh, we've got these turnips in the house. They just came from the farms. They gave us 10 pounds. We got to move them. Right. Great. Like, let's figure out a dish. Love it. Um, great charcuterie and, and cheese selection. But so it was also proof was sort of at that time where the restaurant industry in D.C. was popping yes. right like young people like you were interested and interesting and looking to do new things sustainability was a huge you know sustainability whole animal you yes. know like all these sort of words now uh that were like yeah no duh like everybody's doing that right but they were it was all new then you know right. local working with farmers like right. all that kind of stuff was now becoming part of the fabric right and 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 you know I agree with you and fabric nationally, but in DC, it had been something that we were doing for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing whole animal butchery at Zaytinia um, since nobody, I started. I guess nobody you know? was just and, talking and, about it. Right. I and mean, we were, we were spit roasting whole lambs and mm. lamb shoulders and we were getting whole porks in from Bev, Bev Eggleson. Um, mm -hmm. We were getting, you know, lambs in from Pipe Dreams Fromage. And I mean, we were utilizing all the different farms and, and produce and bounty of this area of the Mid-Atlantic um, mm -hmm. in a way that was very reminiscent of, of Northern California. Mm -hmm. um, and so we we were at the forefront of that. And I think that utilizing farms, utilizing, you know, Path Valley and Earthen Eats and Moon Valley, we've been doing this for decades. Right. Um, fresh farm markets, you know, going to the market in Penn Quarter was something that the chefs did every Thursday. Right. Um, so these you were still things. still see them watching yeah, and walking, walking around. around with their carts and picking things up. Very reminiscent of uh, Union Square, you know, in, in New York. Yeah. So. Um, these were things that we were doing for a while and, and New York had been doing them for much longer, but not mm -hmm. talking about it. But when it became part of that national fabric, sure. I mean, I think DC got a lot of, a lot of, um, press. Well, but I also think you have, maybe we could talk about it then and now have it be part of the conversation because you had a more educated 
food consumer, a more educated diner. In D.C.? Nationally. Food Network, yes. for better or for worse. Right. Uh, food blogs. Pe- the, the interest in food and food culture changed dramatically in the late 1990s and early 2000s. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, certainly with the advent of Food Network and, and look, Bobby Flay, Emeril Lagasse, right. Ina Garten. Think about I Top mean, Chef. I mean, Top Chef, the, I'll be honest, yeah. I've never watched a full season. Yeah. It's not, I don't, competition, I, I know you've done shows like and done that kind of I've stuff. I've only done one. I don't believe, I, I, I'm not one for food competition. It's a turnoff to me personally. Yes. Um, I, 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 did, a, I did one and you know the stories. Okay, I know, but like I... I don't know the terminology for it, but like I get, is it secondhand embarrassment or something like that? Like, like I leave the room during Seinfeld. Like sure. I, right, right, do you right. know what I mean? Like when George does something stupid, I'm like, I can't, I can't watch this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, competition shows are not for me, Sure. but I, they're superstars. Chefs are superstars. It elevated everybody. Gourmet magazine in 1999 or maybe 2000, 2001. I went to, one of their big events as I was launching the list. And um, so it must have been 2001. And uh, that was the year that they put Eric Repair and five other chefs on as a band, mm. to, you know, as rock stars. Right, right. And, um, and Ruth Reichel actually said to me, she's like, that was our worst, ep- um, like the least bought one. I was like, oh my God, I, I got it. Right. It spoke to me. So, you know, chefs are now, restaurateurs are now, 20 years later, seen in a, in a different way. There's no doubt. It's seen in a different light. I, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. I, I don't see myself in that light um, mm-hmm. only because I see myself as a, uh, a business person trying to do good business and I mean, and I appreciate growing. that. But yeah. you also see when you're in the restaurant and you're cooking. What it means to somebody when you sure. touch, when you touch a table, sure, right? Like, of course, you know, right, what that's like, right? Well, restaurants are have become a very different, just a completely different animal, right? Well, that's where um, people spend their money, exactly. And and you're right in the sense of of a discerning guest. And I think in D.C., it's been a really great environment to learn and grow in because you know we're very sneaky, a very cosmopolitan city here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have every nationality. Uh, we are the center of the federal government. Yep. Um, we're an incredibly green city. We're the greenest city per square foot in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got free museums. Um, we're surrounded by lush landscapes. Yep. Um, so it's a wonderful place to work. It's a wonderful place to live. And there's so much culture. So much culture. And from a business standpoint, we have a built-in clientele, but there's also such a transient clientele because of the federal government. So well, and also we get the new, tourists. Right. And we get, so we get new guests all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting as well. So let's talk about opening up your first restaurant mm. because not only did you go out on your own, mm-hmm. uh, with a concept at the time, quite frankly, there was not, there wasn't a lot of Italian really in the city when you, like the kind of Italian that you were doing. Right. Um, there wasn't a lot of anything, actually. Like there was Italian, but there was not a lot of sort of red sauce Italian right. restaurants at the time. And you also opened in an area where there no, were no restaurants. I mean, you opened up in Bloomingdale. I didn't even know that neighborhood had a name until you Correct. opened up there. So let's just talk about how that sort of came to be. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was 29 mm-hmm. um, when I signed that lease. and um, You were such a baby. I was a baby. Uh-huh. I, I had hair. I mean, it was great. Um, <laughs> You're wearing a hat. Nobody can tell. I am. Yeah. I have long wavy hair under yes. this hat. Um, <laughs> he just doesn't want to show me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I had a deep desire to make it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I had a deep desire to try something new. Um, I felt that DC was lacking neighborhood restaurants. Mm-hmm. And that did not exist in the city. Um, Penn Quarter existed. DuPont Circle existed. Georgetown existed. Mm-hmm. Everything else Cap was Hill. few. Cap Hill, Cleveland Park, yeah. right? Ish. Um, but, but to have a restaurant that was, my goal was to open a restaurant that chefs and cooks would come on their days off. Um, and I, I really wanted to cook and for And to them. be fair, for people know, even though we're only talking 10 years, because you are celebrating your 10-year mm-hmm. anniversary, Mazel Tov, by the way. Thank you. Is, there was no wharf. Navy Yard was still a glimmer in people's eyes. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think the stadium had opened, but nothing this, else. Yeah, the stadium opened in 06. Yeah, but I mean, n- things were just starting Correct. there. But these neighborhoods were non-existent or no. just Union Market you know, is 10 years old. So, I mean, Correct. that area was just beginning. We watched to birth. that give, we watched that birth, you I know, know, I mean, and, and, you know, Red Hen's 10 minutes away from there, maybe right. eight minutes away. Um, we wanted to create something in a community. Uh-huh. Um, and we were, we were destined to build something that would survive by built in clientele, mm-hmm. you know, by local people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to be part of a community. And I think that was, that was really important for us and to create something that was, um, seasonal, comforting mm-hmm. um, and creative and mm-hmm. um, had a good vibe. And right. so the Red Hen was born. We walked by this space multiple times. It, it was gravel on the floors. Um, it, it was a, it was a shell, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything. It literally was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the building was built in the early 1900s. It was a carriage house that turned into a car garage that turned into a laundromat mm. that turned into a drug trafficking area sure. um, in the eighties. And we grabbed the space and we loved the landlords and they loved us and they gave us enough time to put a restaurant into it. And how did you come up with the menu? What was it that you wanted to serve then? So going back again, kind of full circle into Jersey. Um, and you know, again, I grew up in a Jewish household, but within an Italian community. So Italian food and Jewish food were very much comforting mm-hmm. pieces of my life. And so I wanted to emulate those, but I also wanted to, um, kind of copy what other neighborhood restaurants were doing in the country, right? Because I was, look, I went from being an executive sous chef mm-hmm. to an owner. Right. I skipped executive chef. You did. Um, and so I needed to really catch up and figure out what the correct format, what the correct plumbing was for this menu. Mm-hmm. And places in California, in San Francisco, you know, I worked at Encanto, did mm-hmm. stages in Encanto with Chris Cosentino. Uh, we loved all of the Brooklyn, you know, Italian-inspired restaurants, Issa in, in New York, mm. and all the other ones, Marlowe and Sons. Um, you know, I could go, the list goes on well, and on. Well, to and me, on. like I think of Justa. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, and, I, and yeah, I don't think that was even around. At no, the but time, like but when you go to LA, day, correct? There's so much correct. of that. Correct. It's right. hard to believe they eat carbs out there, but they do. I know. I think they just they walk everywhere. It's right. like New York, you know, right. like they, they eat all the carbs, but you walk ten miles a day. Right. We don't do that here. We need no. to do more of that. But <laughs> um, so the goal was to create um, something within the structure of antipasti pasta mains. Mm-hmm. That was it, right? Like give the guests the remove the hurdles, as Michael Malley says, my business partner. We were mm-hmm. in the business of removing hurdles for the guests so they could come in and have an enjoyable experience at the correct price. Right. Because which right now is so key. More than ever. Right. And and we, we could have a whole hour talking about pricing and um, how poor some people do it and how well some people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal for us was to 
uh, under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. And um, that and, is one of my mottos. Yeah. And give people a really great hospitality experience, mm-hmm. you know, and there was no theme to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. There was no um, there was no fancy things on the wall. It was a brick building and we put lights in it and we put a big horseshoe bar overlooking an open kitchen with a wood burning hearth. And um, well, the I, grill, the grill, which now you can see that grill in a lot of places. Yes. But you guys were the first ones, I believe. So we were the first ones in D.C. to have a Grillworks grill. Yeah. Correct. Which is, and, and it's they a were, centerpiece. It is. And, and, and Ben Eisendrath is the owner of that company and lives here in D.C. Mm-hmm. And so it was great working with him. And I was actually on a stage in New York and saw that grill. Gotcha. And, and literally called the designer of the restaurant. I was like, look, we have to. We have to build this hearth. We can't just put this grill in. We have to build it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, I can't even remember the restaurant I was in, in New York. It was a great, it was a Spanish restaurant. It was great. Tertulia. Oh. There it is. Oh, Tertulia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what the idea of the Red Hen was. And we were just, we wanted to be a neighborhood restaurant. Mm-hmm. We wanted to remove hurdles. We wanted people to be able to come and sit at the bar and have a beer and a bite. We wanted people to come and have pastas and wine. We mm-hmm. wanted people to commiserate, to celebrate, to do whatever you needed well, to do. The thing that I always love about Red Hen, because it's not in my neighborhood, but we would go there. Yeah. So it, it did become a destination location. It did. The Bidens just were there. Sure. I know it was a big drama that they both ordered the rigatoni, but the Crazy. rigatoni is fucking good. Yes. So big deal. Um, yeah. I mean, I really struggle with that whole... But it, listen, it gave you legs, so who cares? Um, I mean, I feel like I already had legs. It gave me springs on yes, my feet. Yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so then you open up the two all purposes. Sure. Were people like, where's the pizza? Is that, where did pizza come from for you? Because pizza is a whole other animal yes, when we're yes, talking about a restaurant and food. It's a whole nother restaurant in the restaurant game, right? right? It's a, it's a science. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that's incredibly prevalent. Um, It's something that everybody has an opinion on. Yes. Um, And so uh, pizza came about because Michael Malley and I were sitting at the bar at Red Hen after service one night and we had looked at this space in Bloom, I'm sorry, in Shaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd gotten in front with the developer and they were like, look, we really love Red Hen. We'd love for you guys to do something here. We know how close it is to Red Hen, so we know you're not going to do that. But the space is yours if you want it. Mm. And Mike and I were talking. And Mike and I, as I said, we met at Mona Amiga B. Mm-hmm. We became very good friends. And we matched our days off. So we'd have our days off together. So we'd hang out. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're restaurant industry buddies, like, you're buddies. Right. And so, and we're still buddies. You know, mm-hmm. we still zets each other. And we're, 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 like, we're like old souls together. And... Um, We'd go to two Amy's every, almost every day off and we'd go there. We'd eat as much as we could. We'd drink as much as we could. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd stumble down to bourbon after Mm -hmm. for a drink. Sure. Um, And we were talking about how kind of convivial that space was. And I was like, I mean, what about like, do we do pizza? And it was like, oh man, we got to do pizza. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and then from there it, it became a little bit clearer in the sense of, why we should do pizza and, and with all purpose i like to say that it's a love letter to my youth growing up in new jersey and new york mm-hmm. um, and at the time everybody was doing neapolitan mm-hmm. um, it was the rage right everybody had the dome oven everybody had the the pizza kissed with smoke yeah obviously two amy's was um paramount in that craze here in dc being mm-hmm. open over 20 years peter Pasten might be one of the best chefs in america yep uh, that doubt. consistently gets in my opinion overlooked but the 
the way that he cooks, the style in which he cooks and the generational gift that he's given with his son is, is incredible. But, mm -hmm. um, um, I said to myself, if everybody's doing Neapolitan, we're not doing Neapolitan. So smart. Just doesn't make sense, mm. um, to be another fish in this ocean. Let's, let's change it. And deck oven pizza was what we grew up on, right? Yeah. You went to Jersey, you had a slice. Pizza Palace. Pizza pa for me, Ferraro's, Cosmo's, Gennaro's, right. which all became names of pizzas when we opened at, at mm -hmm. All Purpose. And so it took me about a year and change to develop the dough, mm. um, to be elevated and in the right style. And then we opened up All Purpose. And we were able to uh, give the guest a new experience mm -hmm. and give the community something new to and, be excited about. But also in the same vein of Red Hen, you opened in an area that at the at, at that the time, point in time, correct. I mean, Buttercream opened up with you, you know, next door to you. Sure, but there was nothing. That right, Shaw I mean, was not. Street was all the rage at the time. Right, Logan Shaw Street. was not Shaw yet. Not it yet. was coming. Correct. And now, obviously, it is again a neighborhood. Correct. That really, it had a name, but nobody could tell you the confines of it. Correct. You and and I mean? yeah, we became a neighborhood joint, and right. that was the goal. Right. Um, and we were able to do that. And um, and then you execute down at the Navy Yard. We executed down at the Navy Yard. Yeah, we had an opportunity in that building as well um, uh, to open up on the river. And again, going back to that idea of when we opened up Red Hen, where someone would say like, hey, you want to open up a restaurant on the Anacostia River? I'd be like, you have to pay me. Right. I mean, a lot of money to, to do it. I but, couldn't um, even... I Listen, somebody... I was in on a pitch meeting because um, I wanted my advice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was about that area before any of it was built up. They were going to do, a, they wanted to do, it was before Union Market, but they wanted to do a, a food hall, which was a national trend that DC did not have at that time. And I was like, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not driving just down it. it. Like yeah. I could not, <laughs> so I could not see it. Yeah. And I've told this story before. When Union Market, when Jody McLean and Steve, whatever his last name is, mm -hmm. um, when they were going to do Union Market, they did a dinner at uh, Citra Foreman's house uh -huh. in Shaw. And there was nothing. Right. And, um, and there was a bunch of people there. I don't know how I got invited, but I was there. And it was like the Sweet Green guys before they were Sweet Green and like Septim Weber from the ballet. It was all these interesting people. And they presented Union Market. Mm -hmm. And they had bought the 11 acres. And they were like, this is going to be the meatpacking district of DC. And they were in the process of building Union Market. They were saying, this is going to show you that if we build it, they will come. And every time I go down to the Union Market District now, I'm like, God, they really did it. I wish that that person had laid out to me what the Navy Yard was going to be. How many phases it was going to be. Oh, Navy Do you know Yard, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I did not know. Sure. Like, I, I bought what Jody was selling. Sure. I was like, she's going to do it. It's right. going to work. But nobody told me what was happening in Navy Yard. They were just like, look, they I don't built even this think stadium. They knew at Maybe the time. they didn't. I really but you don't know think, what I mean? Like, yeah, it feels like it's been piecemeal. Um, but it's so since, beautiful since now. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, Navy Yard over the bridge, past DC Water, mm. past the, you know, we're right in front of the ballpark. Right. Um, right on the Anacostia but River. But aren't they also going to continue that boardwalk? So they're going to the connect point? it to Buzzard's Point to connect to the wharf. Um, Insane. And so that's really where. We think we'll we'll really see a huge I totally agree increase in demographic sales on a on a um, demographic and sales on a like annual level right because, because it'll be like the High Line correct do you know what I mean one would it's, hope. it's aesthetically pretty yes 
So people want to walk it. Correct. And it always amazes me that the value is not placed on the water to begin with in this city. I agree. And that it, it's and it taken just this long. Never has. I mean, maybe Georgetown, but I mean, you know, Even, like, yeah. It's but been now, a while. but yeah. it will all connect. Yeah. And the so Wharf cool. has done a phenomenal job in that build out. Mm -hmm. um, Navy Yard's done a phenomenal job. You know, we're right in the middle of Navy Yard and the Wharf. Yeah. And MRP's done a great job building these buildings. Um, you know, in, in, it's just, we need the connection from everything, but you know, you've got the ballpark, you've got Audi field, hopefully they revive RFK and all of a sudden you've got this sports corridor, right. as well as massive new residential buildings that are apartment and condo living. And then you've got the retail aspects that are all surrounding all of those areas. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, there's a saturation point right now that I think all the businesses are feeling. Mm. And so I don't know how much more they can really fit in. I think that also the rents are going to get high enough where you're really going to start to see regional or national mm. um, companies coming in. But let's hope for the better. I, we have to hope for the better, yeah. right? It has to be the goal. I agree. Um, let's talk about Aventino because we could go down a total when we talk about rents. I had uh, John Asadorian on this show quite a while ago. That's my buddy. I love him. I love me so much. I, I, like, I love you, dude, I was like, if square square footage is a problem for me. But anyway, he, he was- Square footage is a problem for you in terms of price per yeah. square foot or just yeah, how I large or small spaces? I think they're totally arbitrary. The square footage. Like, I mean- Yeah. You know, Could if be. you want to change the dynamic in the city, you're going to have to- We, we will not have local retail if the, the price per square foot stays at the rate that it is. I agree. It's going to squash it. Well, anyway. Oh, it might have already squashed. Yes. I think I think we're going to see more effects of that. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Aventino. Aventino. Yes. Aventino. In my backyard. I love it. Yay. Aventino is, I feel like I've been in on a collision course with this project for um, most of my career in the sense of the simplicity of Roman cuisine, mm -hmm. um, the simplicity of, of Italian cuisine, and this kind of connection. We've talked about this in the past. Um, this connection of Italian culture and Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. And um, I am not a very good practicing Jew by any means. Mm -hmm. I um, eat bacon on Sundays. Mm -hmm. I do not go to synagogue. Um, I am, you know, I am not a good Jew on paper. Certainly I have faith. You're not religious. I'm not religious. But um, I love my faith and I love my culture. And I've always been um, dramatically... Um, influenced by it in in faithful ways. And mm -hmm. so this idea growing up in New Jersey and having family generational, you know, grandparents and great grandparents in New York, um, there is this parallel road, these two parallel roads that, that Jews and Italians walk mm -hmm. and um, they never really meet uh, in America, right? They, you know, they, they, they move to uh, the U S they, set up camp in the Lower East Side in Little Italy, so mm -hmm. right next to each other. Um, most of the Italian areas uh, in the country are usually sandwiched with Jewish uh, areas. And um, But in Rome, you have the second largest Jewish ghetto in the world, mm -hmm. uh, the first being in Venice. Um, and so that to me is where uh, they sink. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really interesting kind of point to, to start from. So Aventino is going to be a Roman Italian restaurant with an, uh, an interest and journey into the foods of the Jewish ghetto mm. um, and the reasonings behind some of those foods. So, you know, I think for some people, though, when they hear ghetto, mm -hmm. they they think the 1940s. Like, sure. Do you know what I mean? But do the Jews still live 
In that part of Rome? Yes. Okay. Um, but, you know, in the 1500s, the Jews were moved from Aventino, which is one of the hills of Rome. Right. Um, and they were moved into what is now the Jewish ghetto um, in uh, Trastevere uh, on the other side of the Tiber. Mm. And um, we called Aventino what it is because uh, it sounds great. It's got a great feeling. It is a great name. Feeling, um, and the Palatine Hill overlooked Aventino. So the emperor actually looked down onto the Jews. Mm. And then the Pope moved the entire community to the ghetto. Um, and the interesting story behind that, I think we've shared this with you before, is that, you know, they couldn't remove the cemeteries and the bodies in those the sacred lands. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the 1920s, that land was bought by a nonprofit and they planted a, a massive amount of varietal of roses. And... Um, in the in what were the cemeteries, mm -hmm. so much so now that it's the largest varietal of roses in the world, wow. um, in one place. And there's a huge rose um, festival in mm -hmm. Aventino every year in Rome. Um, but as an homage to the culture and to the community that lived there in the 1500s and before, um, because Jews were the workers that helped to build Rome, mm -hmm. um, and they were brought back from the, the Holy Wars from Israel. Um, as an homage to the Jews, uh, when you look above the pathways in the rose gardens, uh, are in the shape of a menorah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So very, very powerful. That is. Um, and so Aventino has a bunch of like different layers to the experience in terms of the name itself and the logo that we created, um, has, you know, rose in it. It has a mm -hmm. keyhole for the Aventine garden that has a keyhole that if you look through the keyhole, you can see right to, um, the Vatican, it's like a perfect shot. Wow. Um, built by a you know, local sculptor. And um, so there's a lot of excitement there. And, and how are you executing the food there? What, for people, what does Roman Italian mean? How sure. does, what is the Jewish influence that you're looking to add to it? Sure. So Roman Italian cuisine is, is a very simple cuisine that moves around the season. So not mm -hmm. unlike what we've been doing at Red Hen for mm -hmm. a decade, um, but uh, it gets a little bit simpler and a little bit more bold in its flavor profiles. Um, from a antipasti standpoint, you're really looking at lots of vegetables. Mm -hmm. So the Romans love their vegetables. You go into Campo de Fiori in the farmer's market in the spring and summer. And it's All I'm just thinking a, is artichokes. So lots of artichokes, mm -hmm. zucchini, uh, squash flowers, squash, eggplant, egg tomatoes, mm. um, herbs of all different kinds. Um, and then you go into the pastas and there's kind of like the four major pastas of Rome. You've got alla Grecia, which is, um, well, really let's start with cacio e pepe, which mm -hmm. everybody knows about. Um, well, not everybody, but most people know about cacio e pepe, it's pretty which popular. is cheese and pepper. Yes. Um, the next level off of that is Grecia, which is the addition of guanciale, which is widely used in Italian Roman cuisine. Mm -hmm. It is the cured pork jowl. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you've got amacciciana, which is the Spicy. tomato and a little bit of chili flake with the guanciale as well. And then you have carbonara. Mm. Um, and Which you know is my husband's favorite. I love it. And carbonara will make its way onto the menu at, at Aventino at some point. It might be my secret pasta. I'm not okay. quite sure yet. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the segundis or the larger plates will incorporate, you know, different types of fish that might have a lean into salt cod, which is a, a huge, bountiful product in Rome. Um, you might see porchetta on the menu. You might see a, a stracotto kind of steak, which is a, a nod to the Jewish ghetto of the braised beef. Um, in terms of the Jewish ghetto food, um, just like just like Hanukkah, a lot of things are fried. Right. Um, so frito mistos are popular. The, the famous carcio fiala judia, right. uh, the fried artichoke, will be a centerpiece of the menu. Mm. Lots of different types of zucchini. 
anchovies are widely used in Jewish uh, ghetto cuisine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I very much want to, I want to make anchovies great again. So um, tinned or fresh? Uh, tinned. I mean, okay. so cured, right? Yeah. Like cured in the um, Alici style in Sicily mm. and, and brought up, you know, Rome uh, and Lazio in general, they produce a lot of things, but they also import quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not unlike New York where right. you're not getting everything from New York. But, right. um, and then AP Pizza Shop's connected to it. And so is, is that going to be deck oven pizza? Deck oven pizza. By so the we're slice? At lunch, yes. Okay. We're going to be doing 18-inch pizzas by the slice and wait. sandwiches and salads. And we're going to be doing um, our classics mm -hmm. the rest of the time. And it's, Oh, so it's a sit-down restaurant? So we've got 20 seats in there. Oh, yeah, I so it's that. Kind of, I, I was in my head. I was seeing a window. Like I'll bring you by. Come on by. It's still a construction zone, okay. but I'd love to bring you by. What's our ETA ish? Uh, late summer. Okay. So yeah, so For we both? had some snags. Both. Yeah, okay. both will open. You know, within two weeks of each other. Um, Montgomery County is a fascinating county to work with, mm -hmm. and so we're working with them to make sure that we do everything correctly. And mm -hmm. um, I'm really excited about both restaurants. AP Pizza Shop is a reimagining of the neighborhood pizzeria, you know, that uh, I grew up going to. Which so actually Bethesda can really use. There's no pizza in Bethesda. There's not. I mean, there's I like love the... Pizzeria DeMarco and there's... Right, Mia's. But they're all on the other side. That's Mama Mia's, yeah. Uh, no, no, which... no. It's not Mia's anymore. Not Mama Mia's. Remember, Melissa Bollinger, who worked with Peter Patson, opened Mia's and now it's something else but whatever oh, I can't remember they used to have Haven there which was great yeah, but that so closed all the, but it's all on the other side there's, there's just nothing no, in Bethesda there's just Road. no classic New York yeah. style pizza there or Jersey style pizza so we're bringing the antipasti up we're bringing the 12 inch you know three day cold fermented dough up great um, and all that stuff and again it's for us it's an opportunity to reintroduce ourselves to a new or introduce ourselves to a new community for me it's a homecoming because yeah. I started my career across the street at Mona Miga B so, Which is, I mean, it's very exciting. It's really, really exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. All of it is yeah. uh, terrific. Yeah. So, okay, tell people please where they can find you online, where they can find you on Insta. Sure. Like, how do we follow you? So, um, do you want me to look at the camera? You can look at the camera. You sure? Yeah, go ahead. I'll break it. down the fourth wall. I know. Do it. Go ahead. You can find me at uh, Chef Mikey DC on Instagram. Um, our restaurants are the Red Hen, www.theredhendc.com. We also have All Purpose at www.allpurposedc.com. Check us out. We're in Shaw and Navy Yard, or, or really Capital Riverfront. We just are starting lunch this Friday, May the 5th. Ooh. Um, at uh, Cap Riv? At Cap Riv. Really okay. exciting. We're doing some great sandwiches and but you salumi. Still do, are you doing lunch still at Shaw? No, there's no that, more lunch. Yeah, because no that more got lunch. shut down during the pandemic. It did, yeah, yeah. and we might reintroduce it. Um, mm -hmm. And then Aventino Cucina Romana and AP Pizza Shop open up 4747 Bethesda Avenue late summer. Come and see us, and I would love to meet you. We can't wait. Thank you so much for joining me It's always me today. a pleasure. I'm just going to wrap up quickly. So thank you so much for joining me today. Everything you heard here, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com. We'll totally keep you posted on what's happening with all of Mikey's restaurants. You can check the buzz column, the coming soon column, and when it's ready, the opening column as well. Uh, again, just a quick reminder, don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Um, and check us out on YouTube. Please subscribe. Ask us questions. If you got something from Mikey, let me know. I'm happy to get it to him. And I want to thank you all for joining me today. There's so much going on in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. If you just look at the list calendar and look at the month of May, there are over 400 events happening. Wow. It's amazing. It's exciting. So again, so much to do. Get off your couch, go out and have a delicious week. 
We're back, baby. <laughs> we are back. Produced by HeartCast Media.